I'm Melissa Smith. I'm Spencer Ziegler, and welcome to Data Lit, podcast for educators by educators, with uh, some new theme music uh, angelically sung by even Indy Ziegler, Wake County students, if I do say so myself. Yes, very cute, very cute. Yes, yes. And that's because we're doing our, our first annual Data Lit holiday extravaganza. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. the name. <laughs> can, be, can you say first annual when you... <laughs> Only yes. have one? Yes. Yeah. We're yeah. just putting that out in the universe right now. It could be said because I've heard that before. First yeah. annual. That's how you let people know it's the first and it'll be coming yeah, again. Coming back. Go. Yeah. And we got our we got our hot cocoa. Yeah. A little yeah. cheers. Yeah. Cheers. All right. Yeah. Clink, yeah. clink. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about data as gifts today. Um, and let, let's start off. We want to. Uh, you know, show our appreciation for our listeners by thinking of a, a gift of data to some Wake County educators. So, Melissa, what were you thinking? If you had a magic wand and you could uh, give the gift of data to any of the educators, what would it be? So if I had to give a data gift, mine would be a database portal that allowed any stakeholder. So whether you were a student, a teacher, a parent, a nurse, the superintendent, anybody to be able to get on-time access to data, to any question that you had, and it would summarize the data, mm. analyze the data, and then provide key next steps. Ooh, I like that. Bam. Okay. Okay, let's, let, let's make it happen. I like that. I feel like one of the recurring themes throughout doing this podcast is just the accessibility of data. Yeah. And the accessibility in terms of just um, being that literally in terms of like, can you get to the stuff there? Yeah. Um, but also figuratively in terms of just, is it a hassle to do so? Or is the data presented in a way in which it's, well, not accessible. It's not something that people can digest. And I like how you talk about the different stakeholders there. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the work that we do, we are always encountering people that said, you know, I want more data. I want to be able to see data and people want to be able to snap their fingers yeah. and get it. And the reason why I thought of this too, you know, from our recent podcast that we had around AI, I've been kind of wondering if we had an AI chatbot around data, what would would it do? What would that look like? So that's kind of what got me thinking about this data GIF, right? That if it was a data chat and maybe, you know, over the holidays, we can come up with something. But if it was a data bot, what would that do? What Mm. would it, you know... And it does raise the question, this has come up in some of our conversations about data visualization of every time you move away from just giving people the raw data, just the really messy spreadsheet, you make it uh, a little bit more clear with strong visualization or an AI chatbot or those kind of things there. But it does always require some discernment from the the, uh, the end users to make sure that they're considering context that they're they're being weary of like oh is did something get lost in the translation to this pretty 100 percent stack bar chart or to this ai bots uh summary you know yeah so when i was thinking about it i just i thought about that too because accessibility to me also means your ability to make sense of the data right there is an aspect of accessibility that has to do with your own understanding. Because if you don't understand it, then how are you able to access what the data is saying? Mm. And so can a robot do that? Yeah, or <laughs> at least, you know, when you're, 
looking for flights or going to your credit card or something, you're on the website and a chatbot will pop up. Mm-hmm. And at first they're like, can just the AI figure this out? But then at a certain point, it's just like, no, nah, no, nah, give me a real human. Yep. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. there's a version be it in terms of technology or just in terms of more metaphorically as we start presenting more data in different ways where we can kind of signal to the person like, hey, contact us when this just doesn't quite work yeah. anymore. And then to when I was thinking about this, I was like, this is a gift where I know it probably won't materialize because then they'll always need us. Right. So they'll always because yeah. that's what our roles are yeah. in data research and accountability. Right. To help people with accessibility, to help them make sense of the data, to help them see what the data says, what story is being told. So if yeah. we had a data bot, it would be us. And they don't need another us. They already have yeah, us. Yeah, you and I are already essentially <laughs> data robots. That's Yeah, that does bring up, I'll drop in the show notes. I Listen, there's a good interview with Dylan William, an educational researcher, um, talking about like future of education, like way down the line with AI and what it might mean. And he brought up an interesting point that um, when you're using AI, you kind of need a really high level of background information in order to kind of make sense and discern of like, hey, is it, I forget, there's a phrase when the AI just starts kind of going off on its own and just yeah. making stuff up. You yeah. Know? So you need a, a pretty high baseline of contextual information in order to be able to navigate these and to recognize, bots, you know, and to recognize when that happens. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that becomes the role of people like us or yes. others within educational circles to make sure that these stakeholders, when they're engaging with data visualizations, AI, whatever it might be, that they have the contextual information so that they can be empowered to go back and forth with the with the chatbot. Yeah. All right. So if you were Santa Claus, yeah. So I thought about it. I would love some kind of data for our teachers that encapsulates their value to their students, parents, and community. You know, that really captures just everything that they do on a day-to-day basis and makes them feel as appreciated as they ought to be. That's a good one. You know. I'm trying to imagine what that data... Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's in, in this because it's I mean it's not so like you and I are both parents it's similar yeah. like with kids you're like yeah. you know like I'm doing all this and they don't quite realize it but down the road in an abstract way my kid and probably you and I if we're lucky our kids will come down come to us and have a conversation when they're 20 or 30 or 40 or something like that and say like hey thanks you know but teachers that's a rare moment when you have those returning students and it's one that does come years down the line, you know, and not only that in terms of just their value of just, you know, giving so much of themselves and their time to these students, but also just to the community in terms of, and this might be something that is actually feasible, but it would be complicated. Is there a way to kind of quantify even just financially what a strong empathetic teacher does for their community in terms of, you know, Every year, 20, 50, 100 kids, equipping them with the skills that then will generate more money and value to the kind of community there, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting. You know, when I hear about quantify and, you Mm. know, in a way, I know that EVOS feels, you know, and people Mm. hear about it, it feels like the, the evil stepchild. But I wonder if that's kind of what their intent was to sort of measure or put a value on the value of 
instruction in the last year. Yeah, big caveat that EVOS is only looking at certain tests for certain yeah, subjects, yeah, all those kind yeah, of things yeah. there. But even so, would that give a starting point to then look more longitudinally and think about, you know, can you trace then the, the impact that a, a strong teacher has over the years? Um, you know, the, uh, and this is something that we're just starting to get a l- little bit better data uh, in terms of what happens to our kids after they leave, Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. our high schools and, and even their colleges and stuff like that. So it'd be fascinating to be able to track some of those back to some of these teachers as a way to show appreciation, but also maybe as a way to justify like, but why teachers should get paid more, you know? I mean, I, I think there's definitely impact data, right? A lot of teachers are not going into this because they want to get paid more or because they want to have an impact on lives, right? I think yeah. a lot of teachers do this because they want to have an impact on lives. How does that get measured or looked upon? I don't think we've figured that out quite yet. So, yeah, um, yeah I think, yeah, if we had a way of quantifying that, I think we come close. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just the nature of human behavior, that it's yeah. hard to it's it's hard to do something like that, but I think we come close. It's not perfect, but yeah, if we were able to quantify the impact that teachers have on our students' lives day in and day out, I think that'd be really appreciated. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So yeah, we'll we'll see. You and I will we'll get working <laughs> on these two. We all check gifts. back. I'm, I'm our audience are like none of these gifts we can get. What kind yeah. of gifts? Well, we also have uh, a different set of gifts for our listeners, which is just weird and surprising data facts that you and I have found that we'll we'll now share uh, with our listeners. Okay, so um, I got my first one. Okay, okay, lay, right. lay it on me. What's All your right. what's your data? So, in which place is eating KFC a Christmas tradition? Ooh, okay. A Japan, B South Korea, or C Hong Kong. I'm trying to, okay, I'm envisioning Colonel Sanders dressed up in wherever. I'm going to go with all the, the old fallback of uh, choosing B, South Korea. No, it's Japan. Japan. Yeah. So when they introduced, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, first introduced uh, KFC, yeah. that's what he had heard. You know, they had it, and he had heard some, I guess, Customers talking about how they missed having, you know, Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas dinner and that kind of stuff. And so he decided he would have create this Christmas KFC special. And he marketed it to folks that this is what folks were doing back in the U.S. And so all of a sudden it became a tradition of that's what Japanese people like to do. And eating KFC for Christmas is like a Japanese thing. I was just like, huh. Interesting. I, I find it fascinating, and this gets into like some like cognitive biases and stuff like that, of, of sometimes the the assumption of what other cultures do doesn't actually match. Like you get that with, you know, St. Patrick's Day being so different in America as opposed yeah. to like where it was. And then eventually it kind of comes back around um, uh, or like Cinco de Mayo, like sometimes our distorted perception of what other cultures like. And be like, oh, yeah, the old-fashioned American. Right, because I thought of it was like, we would never want to eat KFC for Christmas. Like, that would not be like, if you're thinking of what things are we going to bring for Christmas dinner, KFC, or even like maybe fried chicken, but not, you know, you're not thinking like that. Like, maybe it's homemade or something, but you're not thinking KFC. And I was just like, huh, he was able to pull that off. And I mean, you know, new and novel, and it just sort of stuck. 
Okay. All right. What's one you got? I like that. Okay. Okay. Let's go with, I'm going to go with this one. So I found this in Scientific American. I'll, I'll drop in the show notes. So female named hurricanes are more deadly than hurricanes with like masculine coded uh, uh, names. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so this based on, uh, they did a, a number of universities kind of um, uh, paired up to look at a study and they, they uh, looked at the most damaging hurricanes in the United States um, during the six most recent decades. Um, and the ones with relatively feminine names uh, killed on average 42 people, almost three times higher than the 15 killed by hurricanes with relatively masculine names. All right, now hurricanes. Uh, <laughs> do you have no? The naming is, is random. Yes. You know. Do you have any theories as to why that happens? Yeah. My science teacher is going to kill me. Has it have to do anything with the La Nina? No, sort of I mean, weather patterns. I, I don't think so because it seems like they're randomly set in terms of like where they're they're picking the names. The theory is that um, it's this just kind of hazardous form of implicit bias of sexism, in that their idea was that that people were perceiving the feminine coded ones as less risky and therefore resulting in less preparedness. No way. So systematically <laughs> underestimating vulnerability. Two hurricanes with these kind of things there. So that one so I when saw. When you hear like Hurricane Felix is coming, you're like, oh, let me prepare it. But if I hear Hurricane Daisy is coming, you're like, yeah, what's that going to yeah, do? Yeah, in terms oh of this kind goodness. of implicit like bias that's in us. And that, that, that got us thinking, got me thinking about some like the, the equity focused practices yeah. and all these things about how in education, it's more than just this straightforward, like here is the content. How can I relay? Yeah. You know, there's a lot that goes into learning and instruction and a lot of little things within us as educators might distort. So, so that, that kind of introspection is going to be important for, for anyone, but especially educators. Huh. Well, that's a good one. I never, I never would have yeah. thought of that one. I like that one. Okay. You, uh, you got another? Yes. All right. That's another good one. If Santa had one glass of milk <laughs> and one cookie at every home he visits. <laughs> How much milk and cookies do you think he would consume? Okay. Um, so essentially we're looking at this, was it like 8 billion people there, but not all of them celebrate Christmas. So one glass of milk and one cookie. So essentially you're saying like how many, ooh, but it's not people, it's households. I don't know, 2.5 billion. 22.8 million gallons of milk. Oh, gallons. Of milk. He would drink. And he would end up consuming okay. 11.4 pounds, 11.4 million pounds of cookies. Okay. So I have to, uh, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll pop in with editing to do some math to see how close I was. Spencer here with a quick editing note. I was, uh, I was nowhere close. So if you say 16 cups in a gallon, if you say roughly each cookie is about an ounce, so about 16 uh, cookies for a pound. I was at like 125 million gallons and pounds. So uh, yeah, I overshot it a bit. Okay, back to the show. Man, I hope he's working out the other 364 days. That's going to Every heavy. vision that I see of Santa after Christmas, he's always on some beach laying out. So I don't know if laying out by itself. Yeah, please doing some laps on that beach. That's got to be tough, man. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that was good. I like that. I like that. Yeah, so mine mine weren't necessarily holiday themed, so I'm glad that you, that that you have those. Um, 
What do you think is the deadliest animal? The deadliest animal? Yeah. Which animal um, you know, results in the most human deaths? Oh, the... Ooh. And I chose this one specifically for you. And your debilitating fear of sharks. Is that where your head went first? Yeah. Sharks, only like 70 people per year. They're like way down the list. What animal is killing people? This one gets a little depressing. Jellyfish? Well, I, I like it. Mosquito. No. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because, I should also know that coming from the Caribbean. Yeah, malaria, West Nile, uh, yellow fever, okay. all that. Like seven hundred twenty-five thousand. What? You know, deaths compared to the you know the seventy of sharks, but um, one just another that that kind of that that biases the cognitive biases of perceived of threats. Dead. See, that's what I was thinking because I was like, tree frogs is that like poisonous tree mm. frogs? I was like. Mosquito was way, yeah. I was not even thinking that. And also an example of just how many of those are preventable, you know, like malaria, 619,000 deaths per year that if, you now know. That think, is surprising <sighs> me because I thought given where we are in terms of advancements, I'm hoping yeah. that it's not having that kind of effect anymore. Right. But sadly it is. And that's, I was trying to think of some educational connections for some of these yeah. and think of just even just that sometimes our, our, heads jump right to those giant the shark problems you know yep, which yep. and for good reason but oftentimes it might be the small the little skeetos. preventable ones uh-huh. going back to probably even like biases and relationships those kind of things there that can do um have a much larger impact yep you plan for the big ones but not the skeeto will come and take you out yeah when, when i shared these to to my wife she said that my my Fun facts were much too depressing. So hopefully you have an uplifting <laughs> well, when she listens, she's like, thank God Melissa came with others. Yeah, yeah. All okay. right. My next one. All right. What veggie okay, okay. is customary to be eaten in the UK for Christmas? Green beans, Brussels sprouts, red cabbage. I mean, Charles Dickens didn't mention any of these in the Christmas Carol. So I, uh, you know, I don't. I apologize in advance to our, our British listeners, uh, but I don't necessarily think of UK cuisine as the most tasty, and I dislike red cabbage the most, so I'm going with red cabbage. No, it was Brussels sprouts. Uh, also disgusting, so that fits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Huh. They do Brussels sprouts. I'm just like, huh, I wonder why. And they, and they call them Brussels. Brussels. Brussels, yeah. Mm. I was like, I never would have thought of that. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Okay. So the next one I was thinking about just like some of the, the, the entertainment that our students are engaging with. Not just students, really. Um, and I was surprised to learn that the gaming industry generates more revenue than the movie industry and music industry combined. I could see that. Yeah. If it's, if it's, if it's looking at our young people, I could see. And it's just like overall, too. Yeah. Like the, and this, this was one that, that just didn't, and it's not particularly close. Like 2021, um, the gaming industry was 180 billion, about half for mobile, half for like PC and consoles. Whereas um, music has been creeping up recently. It's up to like 26 billion. Movies, I had to look to pre-pandemic because that's not really fair and topping out like 40 billion. So really that's almost like, I don't know, a third of the combined revenue. Which is something that, like, I didn't take those numbers with a grain of salt. There's a lot yeah. of kind of variables there. But yeah, and it was like 2012, 2013 that um, the gaming industry overtook movies. In my head, because I think there's, we, 
all kind of like hold on to our earlier memories and a kind of perception of how the world works. So I've always thought like, oh, gaming industry is small just for a few people. Movie industry is much larger. And I think that was kind of a a paradigm shift that I haven't quite wrapped my head around. And think about like in schools in terms of like what our students are engaging with with content, but also even just what do we consider art and what are we teaching in terms of like, you know, as are, are we thinking of of games? But, you know, just now I was thinking, like, so I was asking you, do they just mean young people? But as you were giving that explanation, I'm thinking, well, Melissa, you play games, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I try to play Wordle every morning. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of the gaming. And um, I have another game that I play with some other adult friends, which I would not have <laughs> recently done. So I'm just like, I too, since then, have increased my gaming, right? So I yeah. typically think of, you know, games for young people. But right. no, I do know a lot of adults, myself now included, that yeah. we are also playing games. I was just like, okay, all right. Yeah, but I thought that was interesting. All right. What are the top three gifts given among adults at Christmas time? Top three. Mm-hmm. Fruitcake. Nope. <laughs> uh, calendar. I'm bad at this. Just give me the answer. <laughs> Number one was candy and chocolate. Okay, okay, okay. Flowers? No, that's not really a flowers. I'm going to stop talking. Just, just Candy and chocolate. <laughs> the next one was something homemade. Okay, okay. And then the third top gift was uh, gift cards or money. Mm. I was surprised about the candy or chocolate. That one really, I was just like, really? Among adults? Feels kind of lazy. But no, I've I gotten... feel bad that I got your Three Musketeers gifts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I've, I've done, you know, I've, I've gone yeah. up and done that where you get the little mug with some yeah, candy yeah. in it. And it's like, yeah. yeah, you're right. You, you probably do do that a lot. It's the kind of yeah. easy grab along kind of quick gift. Right, I was right, just right, like, right. yeah, I could see how that can yeah. happen. Okay. Uh, one last data gift, one All last right. data fact. So, um, and this is going through our, our, our podcast data. So 93% of our listeners are in the United States. Which do you think is the second, uh, you know, the, which country finishes second? Canada. No, that's, that's a reasonable guess, but uh, Germany. Yeah, specifically around Hesse, which is like where Frankfurt is, and Bavaria is coming you know? from uh, Munich. I, I don't, I mean, my last name is Ziegler, so I don't know if they just connected <laughs> there or something. But um, yeah. I would not have guessed that one. No, and even, and even within the United States, uh, 67% of the listeners are in North Carolina, but then that's a decent amount kind of outside that. Do you, yeah. do you have a guess for second most state? Trying to think who we know I don't, and where have they been. I don't think about, well, actually, this might be the case. Texas. No, Washington State, not D.C. Washington State. Oh. Yeah. Was that okay. from you? Yes. No. No. But remember, we did have a colleague that moved. Maybe he was able to get all of his. Maybe. So I'll say, yeah, listeners <laughs> from uh, Washington, Germany. You know, wherever. Thank you. I want to know. Let me know. <laughs> Contact us. Yeah. You can reach us at www.wcpss.net slash data lit. And we do have a form there where you can send us a message. I would love to know where, you know, how our German listeners came to find us. So anyone outside of uh, really Wake County schools, let us know. Curious. And I did want to end with a, a sincere note of gratitude for our listeners yeah. you know, from Raleigh to Seattle to Munich. Just, you know, at this point we have over 50 episodes, over 5,000 downloads. And that has yes, been you. a wonderful gift 
to us. For me, yeah, that that that's wonderful. And thank you, Melissa, for doing this with with me throughout the years. Oh, thank you for keeping me grounded. Yeah, yeah. And thank you to the um, for German listeners, I'll say our uber talented even Indiana Ziegler for the, uh, <laughs> the the music, the singing there. Um, and yeah, this is gonna wrap up our shows for the. 2023, but we will be back in January with a new set of episodes coming your way. Okay. So yeah, thank you listeners. Happy holidays. Happy holiday. Bye. Stay